You are listening to Primary Care Perspectives, a podcast where pediatric experts from Children's Hospital of Philadelphia and other guests discuss primary care issues that are on their minds and the hot topics that all pediatricians see affecting their daily practice. This podcast is for general informational and educational purposes only and is not to be considered as medical advice for any particular patient. Clinicians must rely on their own informed clinical judgment in making recommendations to their patients. Hi, I'm Dr. Katie Lockwood, a primary care pediatrician at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and today I'm talking about magnesium. Joining me is Dr. Neil Patel, Director of Retail and Specialty Pharmacy and Investigational Drug Service at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. Dr. Patel is a pediatric clinical pharmacist by training. Welcome to the podcast, Dr. Patel. Thank you. Great to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. So this is a really interesting topic for me because magnesium seems to be turning up everywhere in pediatrics. I remember using it during my pediatric training on the inpatient side in severe asthma exacerbations and arrhythmias, as well as monitoring neonates who are exposed to magnesium used to treat their mother's preeclampsia. Lately, though, I've heard about it being used more in the primary care setting for conditions like migraine, constipation, and even sleep. Magnesium is the fourth most abundant mineral in the body, which I just recently learned, and it plays key roles in many enzymatic reactions and therefore has effects on muscle contraction and relaxation, cell membrane stabilization, heart rhythm, and vascular tone, which explains why it has so many clinical uses. So I was hoping we could talk more about this hot mineral and also some cautions and dosing considerations. So my first question for you, Dr. Patel, is that there are a lot of magnesium formulations out there. I've heard about magnesium oxide, hydroxide, citrate, gluconate, chloride, sulfate, lactate, and aspartate. And the last time I was in the pharmacy supplement aisle, I was surprised just by how many different over-the-counter magnesium formulations were available. And sometimes patients are asking me, which one should I be buying? And it's been a long time since I took chemistry. So can you remind me how these formulations are different. Yeah, absolutely. So firstly, all these formulations are different salt forms. Magnesium by itself is an element, but to get this mineral or electrolyte into our body, it needs to be stabilized as a salt before ingested or administered. And all these formulations are used for a few distinct reasons. First one, you mentioned magnesium oxide, for example. This is a common supplement that is available in this salt form for ingestion, and it's primarily used for supplementation. There are other forms like magnesium sulfate, which is available for use by blood or the intravenous route for those that need replacement for significant conditions like arrhythmia or severely low blood magnesium levels, and like you mentioned, preeclampsia in a pregnant woman. Great, so you mentioned oxide and sulfate. I've also heard hydroxide. Can you tell me about that one? Absolutely. Magnesium hydroxide, which many of us know commonly as milk of magnesia, is used to help those that need it as an antacid to quickly alleviate symptoms of heartburn. And the component in magnesium hydroxide that actually works to help with acid reflux is the hydroxide component, which is a base. So it's going to help neutralize the acid. Magnesium doesn't really do anything to help relieve heartburn symptoms related to stomach acid. On the other hand, at much higher doses, the magnesium component in magnesium hydroxide can be used to treat constipation. 
And the way that magnesium helps as a laxative is that it pulls water and electrolytes into one's gut and increases motility related to constipation and is known as an osmotic laxative in this situation. That's really interesting. Now, the other one is magnesium gluconate. Yeah, magnesium gluconate is another salt form used primarily to help with supplementation of magnesium in those that require it to treat low blood levels, which could be secondary to many disease processes. But regardless, one of the major effects of this formulation, along with magnesium oxide, is diarrhea. Magnesium gluconate comes as a liquid formulation, which can be used in children as well that cannot swallow tablets in the other salt forms that magnesium is available in. Thank you. Well, that was really helpful in clarifying all the chemistry. So now children should be getting magnesium from their diet as it's a pretty common mineral, as I said. However, foods that contain magnesium include green leafy vegetables, nuts, legumes, and whole grains. And I don't know how much halibut the listeners' children eat, but mine don't eat that much. And many foods, therefore, are fortified with magnesium, like some dairy and cereals. So I'm wondering, should we be testing kids for magnesium deficiency? Not necessarily. That's a great question. Symptomatic magnesium deficiency due to low dietary intake in otherwise healthy children or adults is very uncommon because our kidneys are smart enough to limit urinary excretion of magnesium. In general, things that lead to symptomatic magnesium deficiency include certain health conditions like severe kidney or gastrointestinal diseases, and certain medications used to treat relatively rare disease states in children that change how kidneys manage magnesium. In these scenarios, pediatric specialists are very aware of the need to monitor magnesium blood levels and appropriately treat or supplement with a magnesium formulation as needed. But in general, in otherwise healthy children, it is not necessary to routinely test for magnesium deficiency. That's good to know because that's a common patient question. And thank you and shout out to all those nephrologists helping us in those special cases. So let's shift into talking about some of the things that magnesium is used to treat or might be used to treat. So first is constipation. In this case, magnesium is often used over the counter with products like magnesium hydroxide, as you mentioned, milk of magnesia, or magnesium citrate. So what do we know about the effectiveness of these magnesium supplements for pediatric constipation? Both are very effective. You mentioned magnesium hydroxide and magnesium citrate. Both are very effective. However, neither are our first choice to treat constipation in children. The amount of volume that is needed to be taken by mouth for both of these formulations is pretty high, not to mention the horrible consistency of milk of magnesia, as well as the taste and otherwise less volume of other medications that don't have this type of taste, like Marilax which are usually utilized in the clinical practice. However, if patients fail to use standard medications used in practice like Senna or Miralax, these liquid formulations may be used. Okay, great. So not our first line, but effective when we do use them. So another indication for magnesium is migraine headache. Our pediatric neurologists suggest magnesium as a complementary therapy that can help prevent migraine recurrence. Which form, though, of magnesium are we using here, and how would you dose magnesium for migraine management? Great question. Given some of the published literature and data on the use of magnesium oxide in both children and adults to prevent migraines, this formulation is likely one to use of any. Of note, magnesium oxide is only available as a solid tablet form. 
The other formulations of magnesium are used, as I stated earlier, for the treatment of constipation and not usually as a supplement. But another form of used as a supplement that is available as a liquid is magnesium gluconate. However, more often than not, children that require the use of magnesium as a prophylactic or complementary method likely are of adolescent age or teenagers that can swallow the tablet. If a provider or patient trials this and does not have side effects like diarrhea or nausea, but has benefit with supplementation and decreasing the number and intensity of migraine headaches, that's great. However, if there is a trial of magnesium and you're not seeing a change or having or you are having side effects, more likely than not, the magnesium supplementation is not really helping and unnecessary to continue. That's a great point because I think a lot of people think that supplements and things that like magnesium, which are elements and natural, don't have negative side effects. So calling out that you might actually be inducing some diarrhea or nausea in someone who doesn't have that and not curing their migraine headache is a really important point, I think, for listeners to note that supplements can sometimes have harm. We'll talk more about that later, but I'm curious if you can also tell us a little bit more about the dosing. Absolutely. The dosing is probably patient-specific. There is a dose range. There's a starting, and you can titrate up. In these patients, probably the lower end of the dosing is where you would start. I don't want to give an exact dose because, again, that's patient-specific and depends on the body weight of the patient. And so those things I would leave to the specialist to think through and the and a clinical pharmacist that can help with dosing in those patient-specific scenarios. That's great. Yes. Talk to your doctor about specific dosing for your child. Now, lastly, there's some speculation that magnesium can be used as a complementary therapy in autism and ADHD, although the evidence here is weak, and we need to learn more before we routinely recommend magnesium for these patients. That being said, I see magnesium added to a lot of the -the over-the-counter sleep supplements that are marketed towards children with behavioral sleep concerns, which are common in patients with ADHD and autism. So do you have any cautions about using these products? I do. I would... Caution against the use of over-the-counter products for non-validated indications like sleep, autism, or ADHD. There's a thought that biologically, magnesium being the second most intracellular cation, you had mentioned it's the fourth most abundant one in the body, it regulates many things that you had already mentioned. But the current evidence does not show a causal link between mental disorders or sleep disorders and magnesium deficiency. The clinical studies published also have many limitations to the study methodology, so the use of magnesium is not a slam-dunk treatment. Given the lack of efficacy, my thoughts are that the side effects of magnesium therapy outweigh the benefits. In general, OTC supplements are not regulated by the FDA, and though the FDA requires dietary supplements like magnesium to not have a claim of treating medical conditions, they actually do not have the same manufacturing requirements or standards and controls as pharmaceutical-grade products. So what may be listed on the supplement label may or may not be in that product. And we look at an entity called United States Pharmacopeia, USP is the acronym, as a gold standard that manufacturers should meet, and there are some brands of supplements that are USP-graded and listed as such on their packaging. So those would be the formulations I would trust if you're using as a supplement. But in general, I would not um, encourage the use of supplements for the treatment of ADHD, autism, or sleep disorders. Yeah, those are such important points. And we've seen uh, this in the media a lot lately when we're discussing melatonin, that some of these 
over-the-counter products have very variable levels of what we think is supposed to be in it. And sometimes there's things in it that we don't know are in it. So just important to remember that these supplements are not regulated by the FDA. So let's talk about some of the contraindications and dive into this a little bit more. It's important to remember that just because something is considered a mineral and available over the counter does not mean that it is without potential harm. Some of the adverse effects that you can see from magnesium include nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, hypotension, muscle weakness, and even coma. I know that magnesium is cleared renally, so should be used in caution with patients with renal insufficiency. And as I mentioned before, talk to your nephrologist. But can you review some of the other potential contraindications? Yeah, besides kidney disease, where monitoring and appropriate dosing is very important, there are some warnings and precautions that should be taken. Though too much magnesium from food does not pose an increased health risk to healthy individuals as the kidneys can regulate and eliminate excess magnesium through the urine, high doses of supplementation, as I mentioned earlier, often result in diarrhea and accompanied by nausea and abdominal cramping. So those that have gastrointestinal diseases should use extreme caution with unnecessary supplementation of magnesium without consulting with their provider. Rarely it has occurred where very large doses of magnesium have led to significant health consequences, such as low blood pressure and changes in heart rhythm, and the risk increases in those with kidney impairment or failure. Another item to consider is interactions that a mineral like magnesium can have with other medications a patient may be on. Medications like antibiotics can be impacted by magnesium supplementation. Magnesium binds to these medications and makes them ineffective. So if magnesium use is necessary, the interacting antibiotic should be separated at least two hours before and four to six hours after the magnesium supplementation is administered. That's fascinating. I did not know that. And this is another reason why it's so important that when we take a medication history, we don't just look at what's in our electronic health record because many families are giving things that are over the counter that we might not be aware of. So I'm going to repeat your last point just so our listeners can really remember that. If magnesium use is necessary, the antibiotic should be separated by at least two hours before and four to six hours after the magnesium supplement. Thank you so much for that little pearl, Dr. Patel. Absolutely. So of course, you know the mantra that kids are not little adults. So we all need to remember that the dosage of magnesium for children is going to vary by age and will be different than that for adults. So really, you wanna emphasize to parents they should not just give their magnesium supplement to their child. This is really important too, as parents are shopping for these supplements over the counter and might not realize that there are distinctions and that they should be looking in a different area than where they shop for themselves. So can you give us some general guidelines about the recommended dose limits for children, just, just so we have a ballpark? But again, remember everybody that these are age and weight-based doses usually in pediatrics. Yeah, dosing in children for magnesium really depends on the reason that you're using the magnesium supplementation. Is it to help with constipation, or is it for headache prevention, or is it to supplement low magnesium levels? Additionally, it's important to note whether you're dosing on the magnesium itself or the entire salt form. For example, magnesium oxide tablets come as 400 milligrams of magnesium oxide, but the actual amount of magnesium is 240 milligrams of the elemental form of magnesium. 
So it really is hard to easily summarize what the dose limit should be. In general, follow the package labeling, and if not present or confusing, consult a doctor or pharmacist to help you calculate what a child's dose should be. The recommended daily intake varies by age of a child as well. Toddlers and young children need anywhere from 80 to 130 milligrams of magnesium per day as their recommended daily intake, and adolescents and adults need up to 400 milligrams per day for recommended daily intake. Great. Those are great tips. Yes. Look at your labels, talk to your pharmacist, and talk to your pediatric provider if you have questions. Now, you've covered a lot. And as I said, I think this is a really hot topic right now. And you've given us a lot of great information to sort out all of the myths and facts. As a clinical pharmacist, are there any other tips you have for pediatricians in guiding families who are shopping for over-the-counter supplements themselves? Yeah, the biggest tip I would have is to understand why a patient or family is seeking magnesium supplementation or OTC supplements in general. This would help guide you to the right formulation as well. Dosing of supplements should be based on dosing recommendations based on the indication of that drug or supplement. And finally, use reputable sources of supplements. I personally trust Nature's Made as an over-the-counter formulation. The reason it is labeled as the number one pharmacist recommended is that its brand adheres to the USP standards I had mentioned earlier. And in general, otherwise healthy children get the right amount of magnesium from a nicely balanced diet. That's great. Those are great tips. Thank you so much for helping us sort all of this out. And we really appreciate everything you do for our patients at CHOP in the pharmacy, as well as the rest of your team. So thank you for sharing this today. And I hope everyone learned more about magnesium. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Primary Care Perspectives. You can download and subscribe to future episodes on iTunes or visit chop.edu slash PCP podcast for a listing of all episodes. I look forward to our next chat. 